Good morning, church. See everybody today. Glad you are here. If it seems a little dark in here, why it is, not just you, your eyes. Uh, our light board, I think, uh, went out up in the booth. You know, electronics, I, the devil lives in electronics. Because if we ever, you know, you have a video, you have a. Uh, Things going on with your silences and with your lights. And so if if they flash every now and then, just consider that a heavenly amen on my sermon. Okay? And uh, we'll move right along. It's good to see everybody uh, today. Glad you're here. We're talking about the series of Brand New. Today we're going to be talking about the new birth. Uh, boy, you know, what a, what a great... Blessing it is when that new birth, I was thinking about the baby blessing and how a new birth changes your whole household, right? It changes your language. You go from talking normal to saying things like, it's okay, you know, you start doing all that kind of stuff, right, Trent? And you're supposed to stop that after a while, but, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, but it's amazing a new birth, the baby, when they're born in the world, they never take credit for it, Right? They're humble, they're just there, they're just in need, they're just glad to be here. And so sometimes when we talk about the spiritual birth and, and things that happen, a person makes a decision for Christ and they're born again, and uh, it always amazes me if, if someone wants to take uh, credit for their own birth, you know. Uh, the, the new birth happens only because of God and the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you see. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, one thing about new birth always has with it, it always has uh, mercy, it always has faith, it always has grace. It always is relating to the story of Jesus who physically came out of the ground. That's going to be important. Just hang on to that for a minute because we get this physical and the internal sometimes fighting each other when they don't need to. You'll see in a little bit. Titus 3, 5 and 6, the Bible says, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of His own compassion and mercy, by the cleansing of the new birth, the spiritual transformation, the regeneration, and by renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in John 3, remember the story of Nicodemus? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So this whole idea of the new birth, what I want to explore is, what does the new birth, being born again of the water and the Spirit, have to do with the concept of baptism and what it means in the Bible? Now, it's real interesting because everybody kind of took a bite out of the apple of baptism at a different spot religiously. They each kind of 
a religious group kind of has their own uh, slant or emphasis on a particular point of baptism. And our tribe isn't any different. I think it's time that we take a whole new look at baptism and what that means in terms of being spiritually born again. And are those two things separate? Is that something that happens all together? You see, a, a, a tragic thing happened back in the first century. There wasn't any arguing or division over baptism. It's just you preach the gospel. They did it immediately. Uh, Jesus, by the way, uh, when he was baptized, it, the Holy Spirit came. He initiated his ministry. He started his ministry there. When he leaves to leave his ministry with other people, he says, go in the world and do this to all the believers and the followers you find. When you talk about it like that, it sounds pretty simple. But there's a whole lot of depth in what that means to us. Not that we have to understand everything that happens to, for, for, for it to take place right, but there's a whole lot more meaning there, I think, that we've never explored. You see, uh, the tragic thing that happened was we got this idea from a combination of, of mysticism and Gnosticism and some, and some, some other isms there after, uh, after the 2nd, 3rd century that, that had the idea that faith was always something you couldn't see. It was internal and spiritual and that things like baptism was external and, 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 or external and, and physical and those things were always opposite. Which in the Bible, that's never true. Faith always had this thing about evidence, which is seeable, and some physical response that man always made. Man never earns anything. Get this straight right, right, out, of the, right out of the box here. There's nothing in physical water that saves a person. It's not about water. There's nothing we do physically that saves us. But a physical response was always a part of a faith in action and a believing faith that trusted God. You see, because of that idea that faith and, as a matter of fact, what they, well, actually what happened, they were forced to make faith and trust be the same thing, which they are not. Faith has an external physical response. Two things we do physically that tie us directly to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. One is baptism, and the other is the Lord's Supper. They both are full of deep theological meaning for the spiritual life of the believer. In Galatians chapter 3, we find we have new identity, and it's in Christ. Our identity isn't in baptism. Our identity isn't in and then our sign, our identity, and then what we do in here, our identity is in Christ. You notice that Paul never uses the word Christian. That's how we define who people are, and that's an okay thing. But, you know, he always, he always referred to them as being in Christ. And the thing you have to, we have to ask ourselves is, when we're in Christ, do we really know? Do I really know who I am? Do you know who you are? Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So there's something there that happens that we all of a sudden start dressing with this garment of Christ on in baptism. You see, 
Your identity before may have been your intellectual accomplishments. It may have been your financial success. It may have been your ethnicity. It may, be, it may have been uh, uh, your talent or your ability. But always, when you become a Christian, your identity now is in Christ Jesus. That's where you find your identity. You're a child of the Most High God. And that means you look different and you, and you act different. And you live different because of being in Christ. Someone says, well, Mike, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm in Christ. Uh, do you feel like you're an American? Although most people in here, are, are, you know, I'm pretty sure you are. It's not about how you feel. We're talking about what the Word of God says you are. The reality of what God says you are. And He says you're in Christ. And that's true whether you feel like you are or not, you see. Because your relationship with God is not based upon the emotional ups and downs that you have in your heart or in your mind. If it is, boy, are you ever in and out of Christ all the time, right? And some of you out there, I know you, some of you are a little more emotional than others. Now, my identity is in Christ. And the reality of that identity is a shared reality with other people. Am I going in and out here, Jeremy? All right, we're going to plan B here. Not only is there new identity, there's new unity in Christ. This is because the reality of being in Christ is something that we share. It's a community thing that happens to us when we're born again. You see, Ephesians says there's one body, one spirit, as you were called the one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Why throw in this action uh, of, of Christianity into this oneness context about unity? Now, I know a lot of people try to really work hard to make this not be the baptism of water and spirit or might not be the, uh, the uh, water baptism where a person reenacts that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But look, unless, you're th- unless you already preconceived that, you don't come up with that. The one baptism is a part of this unity because we are in community together when we are born again. When we are born again, it puts us in a relationship with each other. And that relationship should tell the whole world by our love that we're disciples. It's a sign that you're the children of God. And the unity that we should have as a community of believers is wrapped up not only in Jesus and in God and in His Spirit, but it's also wrapped up in the new birth we experience as we come into a relationship with God, the Spirit, and Jesus and other children of God. There's new unity there. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For we were all baptized by one Spirit. So as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free... And we're all given the one spirit to drink. We're baptized by one spirit. This is not something that happens just inside internally in someone's heart and mind. 
This happens as I hear the gospel, my heart is pricked, and I respond to God and however he's asked me to respond. And as a part of that, all of a sudden, I'm a part of a, of a body and a community of people. I'm not just a, a part of the local group that meets under this roof. I'm a part of the body of believers, anyone who's ever been born again. They're all who are saved are a part of the family of God. And what's so sad, we took a beautiful picture of unity and used it in the religious world to divide between denominational groups and religious groups. And, 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 and the practice of baptism became a divisive thing when it should have been an encompassing thing that pulled us all together into one family. How sad that is. And for us to somehow or another think that we got the truth on our particular corner of the street better than everybody else is a conceited, arrogant position. You see, baptism is always spoke of in the passive in the New Testament. It's something done to you. It's not something you do. We don't work at it. We submit to it. It's a passive and God is the only one doing work, not us. It also creates new activity in our lives. In Romans 6, in a whole book that he's trying to examine and tell people how that they've gone from lost to being saved and that they can't, they don't want, he don't want you to go back to living like lost people again. And people are saying, well, look, if I just keep getting more grace when I sin, why don't I, I just I keep sinning? And, and so they make this argument. Paul, in Romans 6, uses baptism as an illustration, along with slavery and marriage, chapter 7, first part of that, as reasons you can't go back and live like that. And look how he uses it. What shall we say then? Shall we go on seeing that grace may increase? By no means. We are, the, uh, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, you see that? We've been united with him in death. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And both those things physically took place. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You have new way of living. You have new activity in your life. You don't live under the domain of sin any longer. You live under the lordship of Jesus. And the reason that is, he points them back. Don't you remember? Remember. Remember, you were united with Jesus Christ in baptism. Something happened then that made you, all of a sudden, I'm living. There's new activity in my life. There's new holiness in my life. I, I don't desire those. Now, look, I know we still struggle with sin. I'm not saying we don't sin. Because, look, one thing's pretty clear. Baptism doesn't drown the devil, right? And he's still around. 
And when, in fact, when you make a decision for God, he is right there even more so. Remember when Jesus was baptized and initiated his ministry, who attacked him for the next 40 days? When the, when the people of, uh, uh, when the, when the Jews were delivered across the Red Sea, which Paul refers to as the baptism of Moses, and they come across the Red Sea and they're delivered out of bondage and slavery, they didn't have 40 days, they had 40 years trying to figure out this journey to the promised land. And in the days of Noah, when every inclination of man, the Bible says, was to do evil, and water came and flooded the earth, and Peter said that there was, were, were, were eight that were saved and relates that to baptism. He's not talking about the water saved anybody. The water was cleansing the, the, the evilness of the world. The, the salvation was to get out of that evil world and that evil the happenings that was going on, that evil activity that took place. Even in creation... Before the world was ever formed to be the beauty that it was, it was totally covered with water. Go back and read Genesis. And out of that void and, and darkness, out of that water, God brought about the beauty of creation. And then in Jesus' baptism, his relationship, his identifying with everyone who was standing on that bank being baptized by John, And the Holy Spirit comes, and his ministry starts. And our baptism is much more like Jesus's than than we've ever studied or thought about. Colossians says, for in Christ, now get this. Boy, this, this verse is packed full. In Christ, remember everything's in Christ. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Think about that. Bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands... Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. The whole power of deity is concerned for you. And is present and active in your submission to God. Don't you dare tell me I'm doing something to be saved. That old falsehood that's been placed on some of our doctrine traditionally is terrible because, because we didn't understand baptism. Look, baptism isn't about me earning anything. Baptism is a pointing to Jesus, not a pointing to me. A baptism declares Jesus and who He is. Baptism is a process of transformation into the image of Christ. 
Baptism is a means and an experience of grace. It's always by grace. You always get these answers, these questions like, uh, well, Mike, uh, if you believe that's strong in baptism, what about somebody who's coming to the building to be baptized and they don't make it to the water, and, and which actually happened in that other room in our building where somebody died on the front pew one time. Some of you older folks remember that? And I thought, now, if you want a legalistic view of baptism, there it is. It's not a... God's not going to mess up. It's not about a legalistic action that I take. It's not about a legalistic... What am I looking for, Dave? Huh? Technical. It's not about that. It's not about just me physically doing something to meet all the requirements somewhere in the Bible that says now all of a sudden I've met him, God, now you're obligated to save me. Are you kidding? We're always saved by grace. Always. And it's always because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The, the baptism is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, and we're saved because we're in Christ. Baptism is simply my being submissive to Jesus Christ in response to what he said do. It's my being like Jesus in his baptism. Look, I want to follow Jesus to his baptism, and I need to follow him in his ministry. And not everybody has to understand everything that happens at baptism to be saved. That that thought would be we have to understand everything in all the scripture that's right in order to be saved. Are you kidding? I'm learning. I'm still learning. I got a lot to learn. Some of you hearing this sermon, you're like, well yeah Mike, you sure do. Uh but I think it's time in the, in the religious world. Look, I know of a lot of great scholars now who are relooking at the new birth and what it means and relooking at, at baptism and how it ties in and, 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 and the way that's given in the New Testament to once again make it what it should have been, a oneness of community because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, not a dividing over religious groups or denominations. I wish everybody would take their names off their church buildings and say, let's just go back to the Bible. The old restoration plea wasn't a bad one. Let's just relook again at what the Bible says and whatever it says. I'm going to do my best to follow that. And I'm going to be weak and I'm going to mess up. But, you know, God, that's my direction. Because, look, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about my walk. It's about my attitude and my heart. A new birth is a time of celebration. The simplicity of a whole culture of basically 
uneducated people in the New Testament who had the, read, the letters of the Bible read to them when they got them at their particular group that they met with, who heard what God wanted them to do and did it, the simplicity of that gets overlooked too. You don't need 15 lessons on baptism to respond to God. Nor do you need to memorize all the books of the Bible. What you do need to know is what they did know in the New Testament. Think about this. They're responding. They didn't even have the Bible written yet. Right? What are they responding to? The story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what they're responding to with all their heart. And that was something that was celebrated. Because we celebrate God, not ourselves. And that's a thing worth celebrating. I have a video of a brother who was recently baptized. I, I want to share that with you uh, at this time. All right, my name is Todd McCurley. I'm a, a member of White's Ferry Road Church. I've been going to church here for a year and a half now. I've just... Uh, I've made a lot of friends here. I, I feel like uh, I finally found the church I belong in. Uh, after years and years of attending different churches, I've never felt the way I do at this church. Uh, people are so nice and friendly, and uh, we're always glad to be here. About a week and a half ago, we were at House Church. Uh, our minister, uh, Gordon Dasher, uh, gave us a sheet of paper. And the first question on that uh, sheet of paper was... Uh, when did you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? When did you become a Christian? Uh, I, I couldn't even remember the date, uh, the year. Um, I remember I was 10 years old. That's all I can remember. So I decided on January 14th that I would accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Uh, I did that at House Church uh, that Sunday night. We went down to the local Church of Christ, uh, the whole church group, and I was baptized in it brought such a peace and, and uh, joy and happiness into my life. Uh, the next day at work, everybody I ran across, they, uh, they asked me, what happened to you? You look like you got a glow about you that I've never seen. And I feel like I got a peace about me that I've never had in my life. And I just, uh, I just want to grow in Christ and, uh, and, and get stronger every day and uh, I want to be there for people when they need me I want to be able to help people like I've been helped like White's Ferry Road has showed me that a lot about compassion and, and taking care of each other and holding each other accountable you know, it's, uh, it's a great feeling and I wouldn't change it for anything in the world I'm not trying to get you to question your particular religious heritage or baptism. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to create doubt in anybody's heart. As a matter of fact, I want to do the opposite. I want to create confidence that God is greater than your intellectual ability to understand everything. That His grace is greater than that. 
I do want to create in our heart a, a renewed desire to not be afraid to relook at the Bible and to relook at scriptures and to and to say what does the Bible say about things. I want us to learn to get past this idea that somehow or another faith is just something internal that has no evidence outside of our lives. That there's a difference between faith and trust. And there's a difference between people who believe in legalistically in baptism as the point of the new birth. There's a difference between that and people who believe in baptism as an experience of God's grace and response. And it's okay to study the Bible and to relook at what we believe. It can do nothing but create confidence as we grow in our understanding of what happens at the new birth. But as we study and grow in that, don't misunderstand something. Don't miss the simplicity of celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection when someone responds to God. When they walk into the river or into the pool or into this baptistry, that it's a walk of faith, it's a walk of grace, it's a walk of pointing people to the story of Jesus. It is a declaration of who Christ is and a burying an old man that doesn't need to live any longer. Because there wasn't really life there anyway. There was only death. I want to be united with Christ so I can be raised with him. There's hope there. Back to the very beginning, the very first verse we said today. The new birth does. It's, it gives us into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My confidence is not in my baptism. My confidence is in my Lord. Don't ever get those two things confused. Let's take a moment and just look back at some of the baptisms, some of the new births, some of the more recent, some a little older, of the of ones just we've experienced among our own church family here as people found who Jesus Christ was. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way.
got to love you got to love that picture there, don't you? And one of the brothers came to me during that and said, you know, last Sunday night he had shared the gospel and baptized three people down here last Sunday night. One of them was 90 years old. You know, you don't you don't ever give up sharing the gospel, do you? I love seeing people respond to God. That only happens because God's already responded by the cross and the message being put into their heart. That's a good thing. You know what? That's just a good thing. As a church, what's our vision for the future? My vision is to be whatever God wants us to be in reaching the world with the story of Jesus and then growing us up to becoming like Jesus in the process. As one man said, the, really the job of a minister is really just simply twofold. One, getting people to recognize their need for Jesus and response and the other is getting them to learn to live like Jesus as they grow in the Lord. I kind of always say it like this. Some, some are evangelists and some are more minister or pastors. Uh, I think churches went through a time where they felt like they had to clean people up before they could be a Christian. Uh, that's like trying to clean the fish before you catch it, you know? Phil's an evangelist. He catches them. Uh, I'm not as, an, as, as, as much of an evangelist as Phil. I'm trying to clean them. He keeps piling them in here, and I'm having to struggle cleaning them all. But, I mean, you know, we're all in the process with each other, trying to reach people and then help each other become more like Jesus until he comes again. And it's okay. We make mistakes. We fall short. We're weak. And uh, that just gives God more glory that he would choose to use us and all of our messes to actually help other people find out who he is. And that's a good thing. So as a church, let's do what God's called man to do individually. Love mercy. Do the right thing and walk humbly before our God. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I need grace. And I need to always keep an eye open for make sure I don't get proud. And pride doesn't get in my way as I grow and as I learn and as I teach. And that's always a challenge. Baptism is not about our pride. It's about His grace. And we celebrate it. But not because it's something we do. We celebrate because of what God has already done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Father, we love you. Help us to grow in our understanding of how you love us deeply. Help us to realize in Christ 
we have freedom. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we have hope, a living hope. In Christ, we have community. In Christ, we have unity. In Christ, we have redemption. Thank you, Father, for the new birth. Help us to share that good news so that more and more people are born into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, we pray with the help of the Spirit. And the church said, if you want to respond with prayers, for baptism, whatever response you may have or need today, you have the opportunity while we stand and while Jeremy leads us in the song.